All right, so my overrated, this is sure to make um, some folks unhappy as well, but it's Nolan Ryan. Come on! (laughs) I I think if you go to the Dallas Card Show, you might need to hire some bodyguards. This is Rough Cuts, a conversation among friends about the vintage sports card hobby. I'm Jonathan, Sports Cards and Sunsets, here with my collector buddies Matthew, 1956 Tops guy, and Nate in Cardboard Veritas, as well as everyone joining us on the Instagram live chat this evening, November 12th, 2023. All right. How you doing tonight, man? Yeah, doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Got my Kansas City Monarchs hat on. I'm, I'm ready to go, man. Ready to talk some cards. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. A really cool hat. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it was, um, I like bought so much stuff <laughs> when I went to the, the Eagle Leagues Museum. Um, I bought like so much stuff. Some of the coolest stuff, I just bought a lot of books that I'm kind of digging through now, but one of them was called um, We Are the Ship, and it's kind of like an illustrated uh, story of the Negro Leagues, and there's some really beautiful artwork in there. And so I've been doing a little thing of like, you know, taking taking a picture with like the the um, illustration from the book with like a card on top of it kind of thing. That's been, that's been fun. Love it. I just wrote that down. I want to check that out. Yeah, we are the ship. It's really cool. Yeah, that sounds cool. I think I'd probably do the same or will do the same when I visit. There's probably a ton of stuff there that is super interesting. And then when you're buying there, you're probably like kind of happy to be supporting the institution as well. So that's like money you're happy to spend. You know, It's like just like taking right. money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So how have you guys been? I've been good. I've been super, I got to say, super excited about doing this. We, uh, for the folks who've joined, we we just kind of talked topics a couple weeks ago. And it's been fun just thinking through kind of ideas about collecting and thoughts on collecting. And uh, yeah, really been looking forward to this all day too. Agreed. Yeah, same here. Excited to do it. It's, uh, it's been a while for us, right? We, um, we uh, we say we're going to do it every two or three weeks, but uh, <laughs> I think it's good for us that we're keeping it um, sort of amateur and, and informal because we uh, we have stuff up. It's it's a great time when we do it, but we do have trouble staying consistent with it. M- maybe we could get a little better about that. Yeah, if I if I recall, if I'm doing my math correctly, I think we're like five weeks plus one day since our last episode. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah OK. That's that's about what I was thinking about. Yeah. Well, should we should we go ahead and jump in? Let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. Okay. All right. Cool. So yeah, um, thank you to the the folks we've had join here so far. It looks like we have twelve folks in the chat currently. So good to see everyone, including a lot of um, our buddies that we know. Midwest Vintage Cards um, just joined. One of our one of our friends. Good to see you. Um, I think I saw Publius thirteen was yeah. in here before been calling for us to get active again which i appreciate um but uh yeah we so you know i think we have a pretty similar agenda to to what we've talked about before but as in the past we uh you know we try to speak a couple things to get some common threads between the um the conversations we have but also try to keep it fresh and talk about some new stuff so um just to give a a quick overview on what we settled on for tonight we're gonna uh, start with uh, vintage pickup or card that we've been enjoying lately for one reason or another. Um, talk about that a little bit. And then 
um, something new in the hobby for us, uh, either a recent personal experience or something that caught our attention that's kind of a cool, fun thing in the hobby. Um, then hit on hobby lowlights quickly, right? We try to make sure we we balance some some positive and some negative. I, I think we're almost all positive when we talk, probably 95%, but it's got to be something that's that's bumming us out at least a little bit in the hobby. So we we try to shout out one of those each time we talk. Um, then we're doing something new after that, which I think we'll probably spend a, a fair bit of time on, which is we're calling it Rocking the Boat, and it's us talking about um, players, probably players, maybe some other things, but aspects of the hobby, mostly with a vintage focus, of course, that we think are either underrated or overrated. Um, so looking forward to that one. We've kept that one a secret from each other in terms of who we're selecting. So this should be, a, I think, a fun conversation. Hopefully we won't get too cranky with each other when we reveal our... <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, from there, we're going to, um, I think, do a quick... Uh, modern card spotlight which we try to do each time as well something that we've picked up or been enjoying recently and then finish up with um any other mail days we've had so um yeah some similar themes to stuff we've talked about looking forward to jumping into it with you guys either one of you want to kick off with a recent vintage pickup or card you've been enjoying before i i'll, I'll start but i i just have to respond to the comments so uh publius chris is uh uh saying uh get those uh, optic hollows going and some some tiger prism so we'll we'll have to see what we come up with <laughs> he's, he's, he's giving us he's he's giving us stuff about yeah. this vintage vintage podcast show that's like highlights these modern cars we, <laughs> yeah we, we we do plan to show some maybe 90s pickups at the end right so um i'm not sure if mine is a tiger that, prism that, that's ultra modern to us 90s right <laughs> yeah <laughs> And I guess before we get started, I actually want to shout out uh, Jonathan, right? He kind of came up with a name for, for this little thing that we're doing. You want to want to talk about the name, Jonathan, give a description of it? Sure. Yeah, I've been thinking about it for a long time, and I wanted it to be some some attribute of cards. You know, I thought about, like, calling it bad registration or rounded corners. I, I was thinking about different things, but it occurred to me, we talk a lot about how we love a r good rough cut, like a, a Hank Aaron rookie or the OPG Wayne Gretzky rookie. And I thought, you know, rough cuts kind of sounds also like uh, riffing on ideas or hobby takes. So we're, we're calling it rough cuts. Hopefully the name sticks. Like it. Yeah. It's awesome. And... All right. Let's show some cards. Yeah. Let me, let me, let me start. Uh, this is one that was on, I, I have a, uh, I have 10 hall of famers kind of uh, not, not the tier one hall of famers, but maybe the second tier from 33 Gaudi that I've been looking for. This is one I was hunting for in Chicago. Couldn't find it. And uh, well, I'll just go ahead and, and show it while I'm talking. But Card Collector 16, David posted this a couple weeks back. And, you know, it was exactly, this is the Rogers Hornsby. He has two cards in the Gaudi set. This is the manager one. And I'm really attracted to cards from the set that kind of stand out, that have different artwork, different poses. And, you know, Hornsby is, uh, you know, just a, a legend of the game. Uh, this is when he had returned to St. Louis as a manager for the Browns, not the Cardinals. And love the card. You know, I thought like it had great color. Three was the perfect grade for my collection. So that's one I'm really enjoying. I've, I've got this on the display shelf right now. Really neat card. And he was a player manager that year, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you can tell on the back that his days um, as a triple crown winning player were kind of past. It says... 
uh, the last season he batted 224 uh, in 19 games. So, you know, you could his days as a player were just about over, but he still was player managing. I love uh, Josh's comment with the Raja. Raja. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. That's a great card. Uh, do you want to go, Nate? You want me to go? Um, yeah, go ahead, Matthew. Yeah, why don't you go next? All right. So here's one that um, that I got just this week, and I'm happy to say I was influenced <laughs> with this card here. So this is um, so like this is an example of a card that like was not on my radar really at all. Right? I had like my 54 Hank Aaron rookie that I got um, at the national I've got, you know, have a 56 tops that I've had for a long time. And, you know, this was a card that like one of my old buddies, um, Darth Brizzo, this was his favorite Hank Aaron card. And I know that actually his card ended up with, with you, Nate. And I think it was somebody else, somebody else posted one like two weeks ago and then you posted yours. And I was like, just thinking to myself, man, like, that's just, I just love that Hank Aaron card. Like, I get that it's not his rookie, but I see why people say, like, it might be it might be his best card. I mean, you've got, like, the, the bright yellow. I always think about how the action image of him looks like, it just looks so interesting. It's like, it almost, like, it really jumps off the page. It looks, it, it, it looks kind of 3D because of the way the shading on his pants are and stuff. And so, anyway, this this was a card that had popped up on the the BST of Net Net fifty four, where that's that's one of my favorite places to hunt for cards. And um, the seller like kept going down and down. I mean, it's a seven, which is usually like outside of my league for um, you know the kind of cards that I go for. But it was like it's just perfection, right? Like you think about Probstein and Pack Fresh, right? All these these things that people throw at cars. And I really feel like this one is straight up like out of a pack, man. It's it's so awesome. And now that I've got the rookie, I've got the 55 and the 56, it's like, is it time to do a Hank Aaron run? You know, those are those are the questions that I'm wrestling with at the moment. Right. Um yeah, so super excited about this 55 and much thanks to you, Nate, for for kind of like kind of keeping it in, you know, my, my mind, you know, like even if it wasn't the background, it's not a card I was really looking for. And so when this one popped up on net before and the price kind of came down into what I thought was okay, I, 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 yeah. I left on it, man. Yeah. It seemed like you did really well on the price on that one, given how that card looks. And yeah, and it's, we, we had a nice full circle on that one, Matthew, with you helping me pick up my copy yeah. that I, I love. And then, when I posted it, it got you excited about the card again. And then you ended up getting a great copy. I mean, that's, that's uh, exactly how this thing should be working. And it's, we got a little glare, Matthew. I, we can see like, it's nice, but mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not, it's so hard with the live camera. Oh, to yeah. Like, I'm looking forward to you posting that card. I hope everyone checks it out. I, I've seen photos of it. It's just a stunning example. So, <laughs> Next up, right here, guys. Don't stop hunting. I, that, that one's high on my list. And by the way, Bob Hosta mentioned 58, Aaron. That's another one. I've been looking for, you know, you guys know I have a pretty short list of 1950s era cards I want. That one, 58, Aaron, are both in my top 10 right now. I love those. And, and Matthew, I'll say one more thing. If you go for the Aaron run, that's a long project to take on. That guy played forever. Um, but that would be a fun one to do. Yeah, I mean, it like it, it cuts across, you know, that's what I love about like the Banks run that I have, you know, it's a similar time frame, 
Like I love being able to see how the designs of the cards move through that era. And it's like, you know, well before the era where, you know, like the eighties kind of era. So I like the idea of like a long project where I've already kind of like paid the most, right. I've already got like the most expensive cards. So it seems like one that might be, you know, give me some, like a lot of like interest in, in, in the hobby, you know, going forward. So really excited about that one. That's a great idea. And, and there's a collector on IG. Is it, is it Hank Aaron PSA? Is that the Yeah, name? that's right. Yeah. He, 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 in a really fun way, um, took us through his journey of doing yeah. run. I think, yeah, we all remember that it was, and it seemed like such a cool project at that time. So I, I love the idea of you doing that, Matthew. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really jazzed on it. Yeah. Cool. Well, I, I, um, unfortunately don't have a card to show. I've been kind of buying, um, a buying hiatus for, for the last, uh, couple months here, a little over two months, but that just ended recently. So I'm going to talk about my card pickup. I think you guys know what it is because I've been incessantly talking about it since I got it and posting it. So I've been after a, um, T206 Walter Johnson portrait for, um, for I think two, two and a half years or so. And, looked at probably hundreds of copies. I, I'm not sure what the total pop is on that card. I guess maybe a little over a thousand, probably a thousand to 1500 maybe, but I've looked at a, a big enough chunk of <laughs> low grade uh, population there to, to really have a good handle on them. And I finally found the one that, uh, that uh, I ended up going for. So I bought that uh, three days ago off eBay, reached out to the seller as someone in Canada that had just posted a bunch of T206s and you guys and um, JT, July Tango Whiskey, and s some of our other buddies have been um, kind of just talking about Walter Johnson portraits and got me thinking, of, you, you, I think it was JT that had posted one in our chat. And um, I was looking at that and then that led me to look at eBay again. Um, I think my eBay searches are like messed up ever since they changed them. And so they don't all pop up for me anymore. But this one had just been posted and it was... Uh, kind of exactly what I was looking for in terms of color, framing, registration, um, and and a really nice clean surface. So I was really excited to get back onto the buying wagon with a card, you know, that it was number one on my want list and yeah. uh, been very high on my list for a long time. So. Such a beauty. The color on that copy, man, we've all been looking at dozens of them all year long because <laughs> it was number one for you. <laughs> You you found it, man. It was really cool to see how quickly when you knew that that was the one, you pounced. Your decisiveness was impressive. <laughs> nice. Thanks, man. Yeah, and thank you guys for all the help along the way with that one. I, I was decisive. You're right. And and that's the beauty of that long journey to get it. Yeah. You know, I mean, there, there were hundreds that I rejected, but when I saw that one pop up, you know, I asked, I asked the guy on eBay, hey, do you have any flexibility on it? And he took 50 bucks off it as like a good faith showing yeah. i was like all right that's good done yeah. you know and he was and i asked him how it looks in hand and he said actually it's at my office so you know i can take a look in the morning and let you know and i said you know i'm gonna just buy it now because i don't want to lose it and then take a look before you ship it and let me know if it, if anything looks off with it but once i saw that one i, I did not want to risk losing it so yeah man classic example too of like does the pop count even matter mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. i mean like you said this was like it's not like you are dabbling in the hobby you know and, and you're, you're you're like looking at ebay like once every two weeks or looking at auctions every two weeks the fact that there's like 
a thousand pop on this card or whatever, whatever the number is, it's probably like, yeah, 1500,000. I don't know. Yeah. But like how many of them have like the registration and the color of the one that you found? It, yeah. it, it's so hard. I mean, that's why it's like, I don't know, man, people like rag on vintage for the high pop. I'm like, you just don't know what you're talking about. So thank you for your opinion, but you obviously don't know what you're talking about. Right. Yep. Yep. And then when you apply Pareto to the pop count, then, then <laughs> our, <laughs> but totally agree, man, that whatever the pop counts say with a lot of them, the, the card we want is a needle in a haystack that takes us an awful long time to find. Um, great comment by Bob Hosta collection. He, he rightly points out that all three <laughs> that we we talked about our our color yellow so um pretty pretty good theme going there um yeah we often talk about color and cards and like yellow is is actually like you can you can just rattle off like so many awesome cards that are yellow jackie robinson 48 leaf 33 gaudy babe ruth you know it just like there's so many that are yellow yeah it's kind of crazy yeah for sure the wagner going yellow with that or is it's that a, it's like uh, orange that one's probably more orange right that was probably fair orange yeah yeah it's close it, yeah um all right uh should we should we move on that's yeah yeah okay um matthew do, do you want to maybe lead us off on this one so we're i think going to be talking about um you know so, something cool that we've been thinking about or or that's caught our eye in the hobby um since the last time we talked yeah this is Fun. So what I did for preparation for this one was I just like actually like went through my Instagram stories for the past few weeks and just saw like, what was I talking about? Like, what what were the things that I was that I was interested in? And um, some of the things that popped out, well, number one was like binders. You know, we talked about this last time, like just how much fun is collecting when you have a binder and like, you know, Jonathan, you've got like this awesome project going with the binder. Bleaker has an awesome binder project. Yeah. There's, there's lots of awesome binder projects going around. And so the thing that, that, so, okay. So I, I don't know if he's in the chat anymore, but he was right. Uh, Tony from cousins collectibles was in the chat and he heard me talking about like, um, so he's got like his 1956 top set in a binder. And I, my set at the time was all either like graded cards, which were just like the stars, or they were in one savers because it, or yeah, whatever card saver ones. Yeah. Um, cause at some point in my mind, I was like, oh, I'm going to like get these all graded, but like, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And I'm never going to do that. Um, cause there's, you know, there's 300 common cards or whatever. So he heard me talking about that and I asked him, you know, what are the best pages and stuff like this? And he was like, dude, just send me your address. I'll just send you my leftovers. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? And so, yeah. So he sent it to me. And so I'll just, uh, um, I spent like the last couple of weeks here, like loading this guy up, man. And it's awesome. Cause like these pages are, you know, horizontal yeah. eight card yeah. pages. So they're perfect for 1956 tops. So I just went through and, you know, I spent like a couple of days just like loading up my binder with all the cards in the set. And then, you know, my wife was coming around and she was like, oh, what are you doing? And like asking me about the cars. And so it's just like a perfect, it was so awesome. Cause it was like my, I got like that library smell from like the old cars. Yeah. Right. And then I'm just like leaving through this thing. And I hadn't looked at these commons in, I don't know, probably like a couple months. Cause you know, I just like a stack of card saver ones. It's diff It's just different when you got them in the binder. And so 
that has been like so much fun. And now I'm back on the path of like, well, what do I do with all the graded cards that are not in the binder? What do I do to try to get a binder with everything? So then I'm like, you know, trying to get different ideas. Like, do I buy reprints? I'm probably not going to go down the path of just buying like, you know, cheaper versions. Cause like a Mickey Mantle is still going to be really expensive. I'm going to want to do that. Right. And yeah. crack it and put it in a binder. I think that's what Tony's doing. But anyway, he sent those things, those pages to me just, you know, for free or whatever. He just, just had them. This made me um, reimburse him for the shipping and like, you know, just found a binder that, that my wife was using for like, it wasn't using anymore for like music stuff. And it's loaded up and it was like, oh man, it was just like really connecting back with like these cheap cars. And like, you know, one thing that we did was like go through and like uh, every time there was somebody's nickname, then we went to the back and tried to understand like, why did they have that nickname? Like, what was their real name? Was it some like, you know, Westchester, the third kind of person or, you know, <laughs> where did it come from? It was just super fun. Right. And um, like, oh, last story. I didn't want to take a lot of time on this, but um. So the guy, the guy that made that custom Ernie Banks card that I have, yeah. um, his great uncle played for Boston, the Red Sox, like in the fifties with Ted Williams. Um, and so he's got like a bunch of stuff from Ted Williams and stuff that are from his uncle. Um, but then like, as I'm going through, I had like his uncle's card in my hand, you know, and I could like send him a picture like, dude, I just put your uncle's card into the binder, you know, stuff, stuff like that. It just, I don't know, man. It was like, it cost zero dollars and it made it was like such a fun connection to cards that i mean i'm so glad i did it it was such a fun experience i'm so with you by the way what you just said doves tails perfectly into what i'm going to show um if you already know where i'm going but it's also really cool to touch the cards and for my binder project i also got some of those the oversized pages the two by fours and, you, you know, you have to really touch the card and put it in. You smell it and you just have a different, like, it, it feels like such an authentic relationship. Uh, so for, yeah, this new in the hobby, I just wanted to continue what I talked about last time, which was this raw binder project of thinking about different spreads, either eight card spreads or nine card spreads. What do I want the themes to be? How do you curate the list? And it was really Chris Publius who made me think about like the discipline of doing that. So 86 Fleer, I finished it this week. You guys have seen it, but I'm just going to show the page. You know, and I really, I also didn't want it to just be all the obvious Hall of Famers. Now, there's no MJ in here. I have that in a, in a PSA 4. But, you know, I, I thought about who, not just Hall of Famers, but the like the rookies that I really connected with. So Patrick Ewing, not a chance. <laughs> Drexler, no way. But like, you know, I had to have Thomas and Dumars uh, you know, the human high life film, Dominique. I wanted some commons too that I really love. World World Be Free, Spud Web. That's one of the ones that I really connect with the most. You know, Magic and Bird at the top on the corners. Uh, the last card I got was the Barkley rookie, which, and, and the Akeem rookie, those were probably the two most expensive. But it was so fun putting this together. And the one one more thing I wanted to share, I did actually buy a few of these graded and crack them out. Uh, not without some casualties as well. I'm not very good at that. But in the <laughs> middle of it, I realized that felt somehow cheap or um, unnatural. And like hunting them raw in the wild is really what I want this project to be about. So I, I kind of said to the guys like, hey, not I'm not promising I'll never crack another one out. But I really learned in the process. I do want to try to find them 
uh, raw, and it was a lot of fun. So that this is the second page of my binder project that I finished. The first one was the non-Hall of Fame uh, '80s baseball rookies, and uh, I'm, I have many more in the works. That wow, it's so awesome, Jonathan. Like, yeah, Spud Webb is like the anti Wemby, right? Like, uh, <laughs> like it was so cool. Like, I remember being a kid, and like I had some VHS tape that had like I forget what it was, but it. Was like went through a bunch of the stars of the NBA and kind of told their story and showed some highlights. And they talked about how like bird was in French Lake and there were like pictures of French Lake and stuff like that. But I remember Spud Webb's like very clearly. Cause it looked like, it looked like there was this much space of air. There's this height of Spud Webb and he's yeah. dunking. And it was like, it, it looked like, it looked like a cartoon or something. It, you know, it was, it was amazing. And he's still well above the rim. Like it's crazy. I mean, he, he really cleared the rim. Yeah, he was amazing. He was five, seven. That's right? right. I think that's right. He had like rocket boosters in his shoes, man. <laughs> really did. Yeah, yeah. That's that's awesome, Jonathan. So, in terms of what's next, um, are you are you generally kind of working on several pages at once, or will you pick another one to really focus in on now, or is it kind of a combination of the two, I, or what? what you know, I got to say the two I finished were the easiest, right? Like I, I started with a junk wax page and then 86 Fleer is also like highly produced. Uh, so I have enough, I have a bunch more now that are in the works, but I do think I'll naturally start to focus on what 19, the, the ones that have the most of my attention and my eBay searches are 1950 Bowman. And I only need a, a few more of that. Um, Bowman baseball, I should say, and 1953 Bowman color baseball. So those, those are the next two, you know, so one really small cards and one has the oversized cards that's just eight on the page. And that's, but, but I think I will, um, you know, it's, it's keeping my awareness out there in a bunch of different ways, which is really fun. And they're not really, you know, super expensive cards to be buying in, in many cases, which is another thing that makes it a fun collector project. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And then Matthew, um, I love seeing your 56s like that. And that's, that's so cool that you did that. Um, now it's, it's not my money, but I'm going to, I'm going to vote for you to get the really low grade copies of the ones that you have in slabs, like that, that Adam trick, like, yeah. copy, right. Like, yeah. and the mantle is the one you'd have to spend a little bit on, but I feel like, man, that, that binder would really come together well with some, some really high character, low grade cards filling in. So I don't know, man, that, it's just one boat and it's, it, but it would be fun. Yeah. It's, it's tricky because like, so when I bought these commons, I was kind of buying them with an eye that like they were roughly in like the, at that time I'm PSA five to six range, which I would now claim when I'm looking at them now with current standards, I would say they're more like three to five. Yeah. And so that's why I'm like, I don't know if I want to have like, you know, decent, decent cards and then it's like really janky mantle. So I'm like, I'm trying to figure out how to balance that, right? Yeah, that's true. That's a factor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's tough. Um, so yeah, uh, the, the one that, that I was going to, um, point out, it's, uh, a, a little more kind of, um, hobby kind, kind of market hobby trend related, which is I was, um, spending some time on card ladder this week, uh, which I often do. I know we all enjoy doing some stuff on there. And um, in particular, their indexes. And I, mm. I saw some interesting things there, some trends that I kind of liked. And um, well, you know, I'll say the macro trend for all of it obviously is down, right? <laughs> there's there's a lot of ne uh, negative 
percentages when when you look on there. Um, vintage, you know, less so than than most things, certainly, um, especially pre-war vintage. But um, the couple things that I saw that I found pretty interesting were, you know, there uh, there's Matthew. You know, you and I talk often about being more demand side collectors than supply side, and not thinking about the pop. And you know, and there's a lot of talk is i feel like especially among more influencer type folks about how it has to be numbered and super low pop and you know the real movement in that direction and so i thought it was interesting going to zero exactly it's not it's going to zero (laughs) so i thought it was interesting over the last year um high pop cards are down in in the card ladder indexes down 15 percent, which isn't great but um mid pop is down 24 percent and low pop is down 45%. Um, so, so, you know, like there were, were trends for a while where very low pop cards were doing better than the market. But, you know, there's, it's, I, I just, I, I like it not in any way because I'm rooting against low pop cards, but I like it in part because I just feel like I hear so many people kind of talking about that as the way to collect and you have to do super low pop or, you know, you're not, you're just collecting and, you know, you're kind of throwing away money and, you know, there's no sort of investment element if you're doing higher pop stuff. So, um, you know, there, there was that one. And then I, I kind of like this other one as well, which is, you know, they, they've got a similar low end, mid end and high end. And so low end cards are under $500 mid end cards are 500 to 5,000 and high-end cards are 5,000 and over. And so the low-end cards over the last year are down 25%. Mid-end, so 500 to 5,000 are down 20%. And high-end, so over 5,000 are down 37%. So it's the low-pop, high-end cards that have really been kind of lagging the market over the last year or so. And that second one, you know, the thing there that I feel like I hear very often with the other side underrepresented is a lot of people talking about consolidate, consolidate, consolidate. You like I feel like so often it's like I'd love to get my collection down to ten cards, or you know, like that. That's kind of being like the ultimate goal that people talk about. You got to be in high end, like that's the whole. You got to have just these ultra grails, and so I I like seeing again that there are other ways to collect and i like seeing lower end cards and mid-end cards holding their own or outperforming high-end cards i like thinking that someone can buy a hundred dollar card and do better than someone who bought a twenty thousand dollar card or consolidated all their hundred dollar cards you know like i don't want to trade my 53 bowman peewee reese that's worth a couple hundred dollars to ultimately eventually get a 30 dollar card right like I love that card and I have a hundred other cards like it that I really, you know, like it, it feels that whole like um, push, like strong push toward consolidation feels a lot of times like anti-collector to me. Like I, I need to get rid of all these cards and just get down to a few. And so I, I kind of like seeing those two trends when I spend a little bit of time with the card ladder indexes this week. Super, super interesting, Nate. So a couple, a couple of things that copped my mind as as you were speaking so one of them is that like um like i'm no stranger to consolidation 
right? Like, um, that's how I got my 52 mantle was like a, a consolidation move, right? Where I, I moved out of a bunch of cards, but it actually wasn't like, um, typical consolidation in the sense that like, okay, I'm going to move these cards to move into this bigger one. And then I'm just going to keep kind of climbing the mountain. Mine was like, I'm going to take this opportunity to like, you know, get a card. I don't think I'd get otherwise, but then I'm actually going to go back and I'm just going to go get all the cards right. again when I get the chance. Right. Yeah. Um, and so um, I, I agree. So that that's one thing that came to my, to, your, to my mind is like, I feel like, yeah, there's like, um, it kind of depends on like, what, what is the end game? Like what's the step that happens after the consolidation that maybe differentiates some different strategies? Yeah. You know, are you just kind of like climbing the mountain or, you know, whatever. The other thing that kind of stuck in my mind is that, um, you know, like it's certainly true that like, you know, all these cards like shot up, um, you know, they're really rising pre pandemic, but you know, the pandemic really um, pushed them higher. Um, but when you look at like the different, the, the different categories, categories of cards different categories of cards i would say have different like market elasticity by that i mean you know they're they're more likely to be like heavy fluctuations or not and one thing that you know has always been really attractive about vintage is that it's like it does move but it's like not very elastic right it it, it like it it's it has like a lot more inertia to it so that it does move but it doesn't move in the same like extremes and i remember like in the old days when I was on like the blowout forums a lot before I was on Instagram, you know, and I was always like, man, the people in the basketball forum, th those people are freaking crazy. Cause like every, the demand kind of fluctuated so much, you know, based upon forces that I couldn't really understand. Right. And, you know, one of the things that attracted to me to vintage aside from the history and the art and a lot of the things that we talk about is kind of like, I think you've used the phrase before, like a store of value, right? That there's this like demand and I I don't really see like that demand like undergoing massive fluctuations as time goes on. And um, those are at least those are the things that I think about. What were you talking about? Where both consolidation and this kind of like viscosity, elasticity of, of the different segments of the market, and how like vintage. You know, I'm not you know gonna <laughs> plan my retirement around vintage cars, but I also feel pretty comfortable you know with with the money I put into it. Yeah, I, I want to add some, a few things too. I mean, first of all, I think we all agree. We all believe in this as a growth category over time, right? Not not like, um, you know, the the Wall Street bets guys, like the stuff's going to the moon. But like, we've, yeah, store of value. Like we, we believe in this as a safe place to put our money. Um, yeah. But when, when you zoom in on trends, I mean, anyone in the investment world knows that there's like, there's reversions to the mean. And the reason why the... Um, the numbers are what you just shared, Nate, is if you go back a year earlier or two years earlier, that it was the low pop stuff and the high end stuff that outperformed the market significantly, right? It outperformed the market by multiples. And because of that outperformance event, now we're in the phase of the reversion to the mean. And I, I imagine if you zoom out even further, you'll, you'll start to see similar returns on high pop, high demand vintage and, you know, some of these other high demand categories. But it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, you can find lots of quotes from Warren Buffett talking about how hard it is over the long term to outperform the S&P 500. Like, there, you know, it's like there, there might be different categories that for periods of time really outperform. But, you know, over time, there's kind of a reversion to the mean. And, and if the value of our cards reliably, steadily 
climbs up over time or even is a, a, a good store of value. I, you know, I think at least the, the three of us would, would feel really good about that given how much love we have for the cards themselves. Yeah, completely agree. Great points. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, two other things that I think help explain those numbers are, um, you know, with vintage, you know, almost all that is high pop and it's outperformed the market. And so I think that's certainly part of why high pop has done better than mid pop and low pop. Um, you know, the, the low pop stuff, I, I think it's a really, I'm not sure exactly what their numbers are in the definitions, but it's probably pretty heavily ultra modern and, and maybe some modern. Um, and then the other thing is, um, you know, with the high end stuff and, and the low pop stuff doing poorly, a lot of that is, I think as well, like they, they move less frequently. And so I think part of that is them catching up to some of the downward trends that have occurred over the last year or two, whereas some of the stuff that's mid pop, high pop and less, um, less costly moves more frequently. And some of those losses have already been sort of baked in over maybe a year or two prior. So they're kind of lagging a little more as indicators. Um, but yeah, pr pretty interesting stuff. And, uh, you know, appreciate your guys' thoughts on it. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it also points to like, just so much of the hobby is is, is in like the below $100 cards. I mean, that, that, yeah. that's like the majority of the hobby is there, yeah. right? I mean, right. And I love, that's part of why I love seeing those do well. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I'd yeah. love for that category to outperform over a long period of time, yeah. right? Like, yeah. So we got a we got an interesting question from Bob Hosta Collection. If you, I know it'll will de delay us a little bit, but I think it's kind of interesting. He says, "Do you guys think there will continue to be a bigger disparity between top tier Hall of Fame guys and the second and third tier Hall of Fame guys, especially for pre war and fifties, in parentheses, um, as less and less people learn about them?" And so, oh, we've got an answer from Monster Cards here. He said, "I would, Bob, I would say the place for future disparity will be with fifties, sixties, with pre war." people have already gone through the quote unquote forgetting period. So some interesting thoughts there. Anything jump out to you guys in response to Bob's question? I, I agree. I think I agree with monster cards for, to an extent. And one, we've seen a really interesting trend play out just in the last couple of years, which is this new generation of collectors entered the hobby. At first it was all Tom Brady and Luka Doncic and Patrick Mahomes, right? And then they've been learning from the community and who do they die when they learn and they, and they get into the history and they go into vintage, where do they start? I think we've seen they usually start with Mickey Mantle. They start with Ty Cobb, Babe Ruth. And so, and I think that's probably going to perpetuate. So I, I think there's always going to be a, an outsized demand for the really uh, premier, you know, first tier Hall of Famers and the Michael Jordans and the Wayne Gretzky's. Um, and then, you know, as some of those people go deeper, they'll start to collect a lot of the guys I collect, like the Warren Spawns and the the Yogi Berras or the Rogers Hornsby's. But um, yeah, I, I overall, I, I would sort of expect that trend to continue. What do you guys think? Matthew, any yeah, thoughts on so it? So I guess I would say that, you know, okay, so I've been collecting 56 tops pretty, like, you know, um, steadfastly since 2005. And some of the things that I see are that um, it's certainly true that in the 56 tops that kind of like the top seven or eight guys, which, you, you know, like Mantle and Koufax and Maze, like all of those have like really like kept going up pretty strongly. And then like the second tier Hall of Fame guys, 
like Aparicio and, you know, it could be like, like, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of guys that are kind of like even Bob Feller and, and Warren Spawn, like they've kind of like, they've definitely gone up as the market like got stronger, but they didn't get like the intent attention that those, those very top tier guys do. So I feel like, I mean, I mean, for me though, it's like, I, I do think that the market will probably move in that way, but I like kind of don't care because <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm like one of the cards I really want right now more than anything is a 48 leaf spawn. Like I don't care that much if it's going to be outperformed by like yeah. the Jackie Robinson or whatever. Cause I just like want that card so badly, but I don't know. That, that's kind of what I think. I don't know. What do you think, Nate? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Right. It, I, I feel like um, any trends in that direction, it, like, toward greater disparities between um you know top tier guys and and lesser tier guys are going to be subtle enough that they're probably not going to materially impact my collecting either (laughs) (laughs) you know like maybe like i tend to collect more top i certainly have a lot more value of my collection in top tier guys as probably the vast majority of us do i mean um you know, I I don't know a lot of guys that have like really deep, heavy, like Al Kaline and, you know, Warren Spahn and Roy Campanella. Like we all love collecting guys like that. Um, Brooks Robinson, you know, Jonathan for you is a great example, you know, like, and, and a lot of us have like, you know, some, some really good sub collections of guys like that, but it tends to just be a lot less um, value overall in our collections. Yeah. I mean, if, if I had to guess, I, I would think that trend would tend to continue. Like, if you took a, a mix of Mantle, Maze, Aaron, Jackie, and Clemente, mm-hmm. and you know, looked, I looked at an index of those guys versus some of the other guys we just said as second or third tier Hall of Famers or below Hall of Famers, in 10 years, I would think that that pool of the top tier guys probably would have performed a little bit better. I don't think it's going to be hugely different. Um but uh, yeah, and then Chris Publius made an interesting point too. You know, and talk, well, one of the things I feel like you always think about it, with this topic is how Jackie has moved, mm-hmm. right? And he uh, really has, you know. And I think it, he's kind of ascended disproportionately. Um, in particular, I think during the COVID period, but you know, it started before that as well. Um, and you know, I think a lot of that goes to the new generation of collectors as well, and you know, seeing kind of what they value. And it'll be interesting to see how that trend continues over time, and how Jackie or Satchel Page or you know maybe mm-hmm. some of those guys that you know had some real significance outside of what they did on the Clemente, you know, maybe put in that category as well. How how they do compared to this kind of historically more collected guys than them. Yeah. One one comment I also make is that. I, I definitely don't believe that players like Warren Spawn and whatever, like Bob Lemon and Gil Hodges are going to zero, like no effing way that's going to happen. Like, will the, I would say that they might not grow at the rate that, that those top tier players do, but is it a waste of your money to buy one of those cards? Heck no. That, that's insane. And they're, and they're less expensive. So it doesn't feel risky to buy something you love when it feels like my, yeah. Warren Spawn 1948 Leaf is a card I love so much. I'm thinking about getting a second one, <laughs> you know, because I'm like, I, you know, they're so inexpensive to me. That that should be a whole topic for us at one point. How how we think of collecting multiples, yeah. right? Oh so yeah, it's a good that, topic. That, that's a tough. I mean, 
I, I feel like it's inevitable for me at some point. I don't have many of them at all right now, but um, but I'm sure it's going to happen yeah. more and more. <laughs> but I, I'm trying to resist it for as long as possible, I feel like. Um, but yeah, great, great topics. Great question. Um, should we should we move on? To, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let's. Uh, can I can I lead off on a low light? It's, yeah. it's in some way related to that last topic. I mean, we didn't use the words, but we're in a bear market. I mean, you know, the public equities markets have been in a bear market. Collectibles have been in a bear market. And I've noticed a trend lately that I think I hadn't really pinpointed it until preparing for this. Um, But when when we were in the bull market, I felt like eBay was just an absolute smorgasbord of amazing things coming up on auction. And let's face it, buy it nows aren't that fun, right? Auctions are what's fun. And you feel like there's excitement, there's the timing of it. And I just felt like there were so many great things constantly at auction. And I've noticed because we're in a a bear market, now everybody on eBay is like, "Ah, the auctions go too low. Everybody's got these buy it nows. You set it too high. Some of them take offers, some of them don't. And it occurred to me, I mean, uh, on my searches, there are so I set them all auction only. And there are so few high appeal cards that are coming through an auction because of, I think because we're in a bear market and dealers want to set higher prices and the cards just don't sell. And um, the, ultimately, the way I, I want to make this point is it's gotten to a point where Dean's cards don't look overpriced. They just fit in with all the other buy it nows on eBay, <laughs> which is a real shame. So I, I can't wait until either either dealers sort of wake up and realize if I want to move my inventory, I got to have auctions or you, we see some reset or, or a new bull market. But I, I feel like the in, vintage inventory on eBay auctions has just been kind of pathetic lately. Uh, that, that's a really um, I really like that point, Jonathan. Actually, it's pretty closely related to my like low lights, which was that, um, you know, everyone right now is like, like talking about um you know, there's a lot of discussion of like, should you buy or not right now? And often it's like, d- are you know, are we at the bottom or not right now? Right. That that's kind of like the way that the it's kind of phrased, which like just like ruffles my feathers because I just think it's like such a stupid way to look at it. But it's certainly true that in 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 the limit where we were in like the really strong market, I would say the the, the it definitely forced some really high eye appeal examples to come out of the woodwork. It seemed in, in those times, like finding high eye appeal, like it was pretty easy because people were like, okay, I'm going to cash out or whatever. Yeah. Um, and now that the market's declining, you see that the things that I see are fewer high eye appeal cards coming out, but those that do come out get like big dollars, right? That they, they, they're they not really reflecting the depressed market because um, I don't know if it's like people like us, like won't shut up that <laughs> eye appeal like matters and that, you know, you should actually look at the cards that you're buying and kinds of things like that. But um, there was it, so when I think back to like when I was buying in like the peak of the market, I like don't feel bad about doing that at all, yeah. because like I don't know if some of the examples that I got would would have I would have a shot at, at again. And certainly the probability of me finding one now in this market is like a lot lower, even if I paid less for it, the probability that I'd find it. It's a lot lower. And so the way that I always think about it is kind of like time and opportunity. Like for me, you know, it's not like I'm going to live forever, but I'm not going to die like tomorrow. But at the same time, like I don't want to spend 
three years like hunting for these cards because I want to like squeeze out like every last dollar that I can save out of it. No, I want to enjoy the cards for as long as possible. Mm -hmm. And if that means I need to pay 20% more to get that card now, I will absolutely do it. And so that's why I always think about this as like, how much time do I have? Like, I want to spend my time with my cards. I want to like, I, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me to try to like time the market, to, especially for how particular we are about the cards that we're looking for, right? We're really looking for these very specific examples. And like Nate said with his 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 awesome Wajo, right? It took him like two and a half years to find that thing, right? And so, and then when he found it, he jumped on it, right? He didn't like, like he, that's what you have to do. If it like, Anyway, I don't know if that's what you have to do, but if for me to, in order to maximize my happiness, which is my ultimate goal, like that, that, that's what I'm all about. Like, and, and, and if I get a card right now and I overpay for it in a year down the road, I sell it because I want to get a different card. That is not a waste of time. Like owning that card, like taught me what about that card I liked or what I didn't like or what, what I want my next one to be. And like the experience itself has like a non-negligible value and that is time it's not money and so that's like the thing i get like really riled up right when i think about like only looking at the cards through the lens of of, of financial things and, and rather thinking about like time and experience and enjoyment because it's a hobby that's what it's about so ran over for that so that's what i'm talking about those are great thoughts that's and it's a really um unique and kind of, i think kind of different way of thinking about it that probably a lot of us connect with as you put words to it but yeah really really makes a lot of sense um you know i i i will say that the hunt is for me at least is is a lot of fun too right like the the value of the ownership certainly is very high and you know getting those cards in the collection and having that experience and yeah even buying and selling and you know all that but I like I I love my want lists and yeah. <laughs> I I love the process of chasing those cards and and I love when a card stays on it for a couple of years and and I have to look at a couple hundred exam you know and so I I mean I'm very happy when I find one quickly that I'm really happy with too but it's um it's almost like the delayed gratification makes it even sweeter in some ways sometimes but you're um you're, you're, you're maximizing your enjoyment with the time that you have. Yeah. You like, you know, yeah. you, that's what you want to do. So that's what yeah. you should do. It's not guided by like, what is the market doing? And should I not buy? Should I buy? It's like, I want this particular example, right? Yeah. I, I think the hunt, uh, we've all seen the hunt for high eye appeal go get higher, you know, harder and harder and higher and higher. So I just want to remind everybody out there in the audience of our motto, buy the grade, not the card, people. <laughs> buy the grade, not the card. Tell <laughs> your friends. Yeah, we're going to start influencing the other direction because it's making our lives more difficult to get the good ones. Off-center, off off-red sevens to the moon. Yeah, Cor yeah corner get the lowest all the way. price sevens you can get in, in vintage. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, mine was, and I've, I've talked about this in some other spots, I think on my stories pretty recently, and I, don't, I just don't think I've talked about it in one of our conversations, but the, the thing that's annoyed me most over the last few months in the hobby is um, Golden raising their buyer's premium oh. 20%. And so I, I, I'm like always on my high horse about this topic because it just, it just, 
it annoys me. And Matthew, you do a great job of avoiding having to deal with this because you buy and sell privately really well. And it's something I need to get better at. And, you know, it's, you know, minimizing those, because it's just, friction, that, right? yeah, the friction, the, the, ta it's like this big tax on the hobby when you have to buy and sell through a platform and, um, you know, that movement in the opposite direction of where I feel like we all are desperate for it to go by Golden, which is now owned by Collectors, which owns PSA. So, you know, Nat Turner, who I tend to like, and I really like PSA and their service and their quality, but that's a really anti-hobby move that I am determined to call out in any forum. And, and, and on the other hand, you know, the positive is, my slabs and probstein and i'll call them out positively whenever i can um they each have their issues with my slabs like you know the inventory is lower that you can't do auctions on there there's some other limitations but the total fee you pay to do a deal on there is about five percent and if you sell through probstein on ebay for any card over a thousand dollars the all-in fee is is five percent if you sell a card for a hundred dollars or actually a thousand dollars, you'll get nine fifty. Like there's there's nothing else. I've done it. It's that that's it. So um those are great moves in the opposite direction. My hope, my dream is that my slabs can build out their platform, continue to increase their inventory, add additional features, add an app. I know that's something that that people would really like to see. Add auctions. You know, I think they've been in the process of raising um, another round of investment to try to continue to, to grow out their platform. But I think, uh, a much lower, much lower friction opportunities for us to be able to publicly sell cards would be a tremendous thing for the hobby and keep a lot more money and a lot more cards in all of our pockets and all of our collections. If, if we can keep moving there. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I like it. All right. So, all right, so we move into um, our, our rocking the boat topic here and yeah. talk about some underrated and, and overrated players. We, you got a preference? Should we start with underrated and then save the part controversial overrated <laughs> topic? Well, I'll tell you what I want to do. And by the way, we might have to make this a recurring segment because we're already an hour in and we we all want to share. But I was going to share an overrated a player I'm calling overrated that dovetails into sort of a similar player that I think is underrated by the hot. Nice. So that's, that's how, that's how I plan to do mine. Awesome. You guys can do yeah. yours how you want. All right. That sounds great. Let's start there. Yeah. Okay. I, I I'm going to preface it by this. Cause I think a lot of times influencers in the community, they talk, you you'll talk about statistics. You'll talk about career accomplishments and then argue that the market is wrong. Right. And I think that that's the easier thing to do. What I think is the more interesting thing to do, or even the more, nuanced thing to do is we're going to talk about overrated and underrated, but then ask the question, why is the market what it is? Because the market for collectibles is not about, it, it is not a badge of accomplishment for athletes and who had the better statistics or not, right? So it's really interesting, I think, to find outliers who are more popular than the career accomplishments might suggest or less popular than the career accomplishments might, might suggest. Um, but okay. So I, I'm really going to rock the boat. Go ahead. Yeah, that, that's a, a great point. Then, you know, in terms of a couple prefaces, like I, I, I like that one a lot. And I, I think an, just one other one to, to make clear. And, you know, when we talk about guys that are underrated, like 
none of us are here to pump our cards. Like I'm sure we all have cards of the guy, all the guys or most of the guys. We're not selling anything to try to make any profit on it. Like the whole <laughs> The only reason any of us sell cards is to get more cards, right? Like, and none of us are sitting on any stores of any cards. We have zero profit intentions about any of this discussion. And the overrated side, like, we're not trying to flame anyone's cards. We're just trying to have like a fun conversation about some people, you know, like whatever. So I just want to make sure that everyone, whoever checks this out, is clear. Yeah. So when I totally trash Ernie Banks and his cards tank, then I can just scoop them all up, right? That's yeah right. good luck good luck with that Matthew. <laughs> yeah all right with, so should i jump yeah. in yeah yeah you, go for it you guys are gonna boo me out of the chat as soon as i share this one <laughs> overrated I, i'm i think i'm gonna lose like 25 ig followers <laughs> this is a guy i idolized as a kid i'm gonna show you his rookie card uh he put i'm wearing my ohio shirt he played the latter half of his career in ohio and and i think he's overrated by the hobby so Ken Griffey Jr., oh, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, man. Ken Griffey Jr. Oh, my and, God. Um, and I think there's a lot of ways I could go into this, but I'm going to make a comparison to Ken Griffey Jr. to my other favorite athlete in a different sport as a kid, uh, Dan Marino. These two guys, kids loved them. They, they both, in some ways, had sort of the best swing in the sport, right? Like, Ken Griffey Jr. had the most beautiful swing we've ever seen in baseball. Uh, I know I know victory investments. You guys are going to say this. But this guy right here had the most beautiful release of any QB we'd ever seen, right? Like, I idolized yep. these guys. Both of them were so fun to watch. Both of them never won at all. And for me, I think the reason I'm calling Ken Griffey Jr. You know, overrated by the hobby I mean, statistically, you know, 630 home runs, one of the most amazing uh, fielders of all time in the outfield. Amazing to watch, but he came to Ohio. He came back to Ohio for the Reds. And to be a Reds fan in the, in the decade that he played for the Reds was a little bit disappointing. You know, it felt like, like, this is going to be our time. And the team was actually below 500 while he was there. And so I think of him as a guy. I mean, I, I love Ken Griffey Jr. I, um, you know, like I said, I, I idolized him as a kid. He was so fun to watch, but he never kind he never fully realized his potential is, is the is the way I look at it. And I did a lot of comparison of, of different players. Um, you know, I mean, obviously in the '90s when he was with the Mariners, his, statistically he was incredible. I think he had the second most home runs in the decade. Um, but he never, you know, he never won at all. And so I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot into my underrated. I was doing a lot of comparisons of other players. And the player that he probably statistically is most similar to is this guy right here, Frank Robinson. And Frank Robinson, though, was a two-time World Series champion for two different teams. He was the first black manager ever in Major League Baseball. You know, so like his role in breaking through the color barrier. Triple crown winner. You know, he had not quite as many home runs as Griffey, not the fielder that Griffey was, but he was good in the field. Um and his batting average was actually better than Griffey's. And, and I, I think, you know, this is my PSA 6 Frank Robinson rookie. It's part of the complete set I'm working on. I feel like statistically, this should be one of the premier rookie cards of the 50s. You know, like statistically, this guy was a better baseball player than Roberto Clemente. But, you know, frankly, um, the, frankly, this <laughs> this card isn't that highly sought after by collectors. And, the, and Frank Robinson... 
for some reason, never really captured the attention of the hobby. But I think this guy is, you know, from the last 50 years of baseball, one of the very best players. And so anyhow, that's my, I think these two players are very, very similar, but one never won at all, one did. Um, but Griffey's the guy that, that captured the attention of the hobby and Frank Robinson did not. It's okay. So many interesting things here. So number one, I want to say that um, on my list of underrated, my like choice B was Frank Robinson. So that you got there. I mean, Griffey, the thing is with Griffey is that I think so much of the hobby is about hype, right? So much of the hobby is about like potential. What are you going to do in the future? Right. And like, you know, Griffey came in like as a super hyped prospect, right? Mm -hmm. And then you marry that with the onset of a new era in the hobby with upper deck. Right. And I feel like the yeah. combination of it's like his hype that, that, that he largely like delivered on in terms of his performance. And like, you know, it just, every kid wanted to be him just like in my mind, it's like Griffey and Jordan were the people I wanted to be. Right. Cause like he made the game look easy. You know, he had that, that left-handed swing that was insane. And, you know, he's, he's doing all of these things. And then you've got that in the hobby that he, he has that mantle bit to him in the sense that, you know, mantle gets associated with 52 tops. And that was like, that was a watershed moment in the hobby and 89, 89 upper deck was also a watershed moment in the hobby. And like Griffey gets, you know, Griffey gets assigned that. Right. And I feel like, I don't know. I mean, in my mind, it's like, yeah, there's this, all these overrated and underrated to me. I read as like, but do I get a stick? Do I get a sticker shock that's either positive or negative when I look at the value of that car, right? And for you, yeah, if you look at a Frank Robinson rookie that looks super nice, you're like, oh my god, this is like really inexpensive. And then you look at how many bajillion Ken Griffey Jr. upper deck cards there are, and, and still how much money like a ten commands. It's 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 insane, right? So I totally, I, I mean, as much as it pains me to say, like, it, yeah, from from that lens of you know his performance and the second half of his career being a letdown. It's it's funny too, because one more point I want to make is that like a lot of times I think Frank Robinson gets doesn't get that much credit because he spent his career on two teams. Like he 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 was really good on two teams and that like hurt his legacy. Right. Whereas Griffey, you know, was kind of not very good on one team, amazing on another team. And as collectors, we just all gravitate towards the Seattle cards, right? Like yeah. who wants a Griffey in a red uniform kind of right. and kind of like just pretend that that didn't exist. Like just like I pretend like Michael Jordan never played on the Wizards, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's an awesome comparison and I it a, a very bold call to start us off here on the, the overrated side. You know, I think that the other thing I'd note is um for baseball card for modern and and yeah i guess really modern baseball card collecting you know you talked about the 89 upper deck the other thing is he he was kind of like the most collectible coolest guy in the league during the 90s when all these great sets came out and you know you've got a lot of 90s collectors and he's kind of like the guy on the baseball side for whatever reason he's kind of you know crowned or knighted or whatever like uh -huh. we it's MJ on the basketball side, of course, you know, and there's some other people, Kobe and some other people as well, but on the baseball side, I mean, there were some other, obviously great players yeah. in that era, but he, he somehow, and Jonathan, maybe it proves your point. Yeah. Like he shouldn't be that much higher, but like, he's the guy in those highly sought after sets. And Bob Hosta made in the comments earlier, he made a good comment that like with Frank Robinson, he was never regarded as being the best player in the game during, while he was playing. And Griffey was, and I think, and I do, 
I, I, yeah, I think that's a really interesting one. Uh, one. One more thing I'll say about Griffey, to the point of his hype, you know, Upper Deck made him card one in their inaugural set uh, was a prospect, right? And I, and I think, uh, I'll throw this out as a trivia question to the chat. I might be wrong, but I, I believe there's only two Hall of Fame rookies that are card one in the set. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr., Upper Deck is one. And there's another one in it, and it comes from a, a much earlier generation. But I, I'm I'm interested in if anyone in the chat knows the card I'm thinking of. Mm. Now, the last thing about Griffey, I'll, I'll say in terms of his card market, I think the the um, the swag with which he wore his hat backwards accounts for at least twenty percent of. <laughs> yeah, I I. <laughs> It's cool. He was like the definition of cool. I guess one one last point I want to make is that, you know, I, in that time frame, right, I was an adamant reader of my Beckett magazine, and it bothered me to no end, and still to this day, that Frank Thomas was the number one player on the hot list, like month to month, and Ken Griffey Jr. was two, and I was like, that's not true. <laughs> like, I mean, I was in the Chicago area, and I'm like, that's crazy talk. And so I, I kind of de- want to demand an explanation from uh dr jim beckett one of these days to how in the heck did frank thomas like be griffey out on the hot list that he must have been talking to the wrong dealers i don't know maybe yeah. stuff was crazy in texas That's why i don't know but by I the way two, that. two people in the chat uh came in with a correct answer on the trivia question it was whitey ford uh 51 bowman rookie card one that is still on my list great card love it yep that's awesome all right nate do you want to do your overrated underrated Sure. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I'll. Uh, so I've got a couple of each. Maybe I'll do. I'll do one of each. I'll. Um, so I'll do. Yeah. So my first underrated and my underrated guys are actually like really good guys that are pretty heavily collected. You know, I was kind of thinking of skewing, you know, toward guys that are a little less or under collected. But my first one is um, someone that, uh, you know, he he is collected very heavily but i think still underrated and that is um someone that you guys know i i actually collect quite a bit but in part for that reason i just feel like his cards are cheaper than they should be and that's ted williams so you know he's popular yeah. but i just feel like he should be more popular so you know you look at um one of the great things about his cards and one of the things that i think makes him super collectible is I think he has the best card catalog that spans pre and post war. Totally. Right. Just like he a does. Really fun thing in terms of, uh, you know, from a player collector standpoint. So pre war, his cards are outsold by DiMaggio's, right? DiMaggio is a great player, certainly, and had, you know, a lot of, you know, captured the era and, you know, ranked very highly. He wasn't, Ted, he didn't have Ted Williams' career. Um, and, you know, and then post-war, he's outsold by Mays and Aaron and outsold by many, many multiples by Mantle, certainly. Um, and, you know, and the guy is arguably, very arguably the best hitter. And, you know, you can make a case, maybe the best player. I mean, like, so, you know, one, one thing I looked at statistically to kind of drive it home is, um, so he missed almost five full years for his time in World War II yeah. and in the career. And he still hit 521 home runs, missing five prime years. And he he led the league in in um, OPS ten times, missing five prime years. Like 
just sur- so I mean, he would have led in ops like 14 times probably if he had played those years. You know, he, we remember how good Bonds was. Like he's from our era, and you know, we watched him, and he had that resurgence. You know, due to probably some enhancement, and I mean, he was unbelievable, and he led the league nine times in ops, and he was an ops machine who had help getting there and didn't <laughs> any of his career. Ted Williams, if he had had those years, would have probably done it 14 times. Mantle did it six times. Um, so, I mean, the guy was incre- just an incredible, incredible hitter. And then he's kind of got some of the other stuff, too. Like, um, I mean, he played for a, a single team and with a huge fan base. Yeah. And he's, you know, maybe the most, like, decorated and kind of revered athlete veteran like his role in the war was substantial i mean he was an ace pilot that flew with john glenn that did tours in two different wars and saw an incredible amount of combat took enemy fire won many awards like the guy's got a kind of got everything and yet he's still outsold by so many people that feel to me like they don't quite have as much going on and he has this incredible catalog of cards so he's someone that obviously people enjoy collecting him but in my view, his stuff should be even more expensive, and I've enjoyed picking it up for the prices that they sell for. Uh, I, I love the, the comparison between him and Joe DiMaggio. And, you know, at the start, I said, like, we should ask why the market does what it does. I, I think Ted Williams is probably the greatest hitter to ever play the game. Yeah. Um, but when you think about Joe DiMaggio, he in popular culture, he has more mystique, right? He was married to Marilyn Monroe. Right. He, he was immortalized in one of the greatest songs from the 1960s. You know, where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? Our nation turns its lonely, I see from Mrs. Robinson, like, you know, the fifth in the in the 56 game uh, hit streak. So I, I like there's something about and of course, New York. Mm-hmm. Like if you if you really look at big trends in collecting and what makes people spike. Uh, New York and Los Angeles are different than any other big market team because still the Sox were a big market team. But um, somehow Joe DiMaggio, I think, captured the nation's attention in a way that Ted Williams did not. And there's something, you know, maybe being a bad boy and marrying uh, Marilyn Monroe matters more in the collecting world than being a hero and serving in two of our nation's wars. You know, and it's, it's... sad as that feels it's 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 interesting to see the way the market is the way it is yeah i think mookie brings up a point that that was one that came to my mind was like ted had such a poor relationship with sports writers and at the time you know it wasn't like people had act you know your access to information was funneled through sports writers yeah. and so the fact that he had such a poor relationship with the sports writers made it really hard for him i think to get like the acclaim that he really deserved and then yeah then he never tipped his cap to the boston fans so there was always this kind of some he didn't have the relationship with fans in, in a bonds kind of a way right also with the media didn't have a good relationship the thing that i always think about with ted williams in terms of statistics is that there are something like 60 like 10 war seasons in all of baseball history in all of baseball history, there's like tens, there's like 60 seasons where somebody did got a 10 war or higher. And Ted Williams had one the year before he left for World War II. And he had one the year he came back from World War II, which is like, that's right. insane how good of a hitter this guy was. And so, yeah, I mean, you think about what numbers he could have had if he didn't, if he, um, 
you know, played in those those years. But I agree with you that I think he is like he's the best hitter of all time. And and the statistics really support that. But again, like the the comparison to DiMaggio and Marilyn Monroe, and meanwhile, you know, his own fans aren't really happy with him. And it's all of this stuff, right? It all plays a role into like the value of the cards, which is which is crazy. The other thing that I'll last point I'll make is that Ted's cards also just look amazing, right? Of of the the players that 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 had cards in those eras, he has some of the best looking cards in all the sets. And I think that that makes it really fun to collect. Yeah. Absolutely. Great points. Love it all. Yeah. yeah. Last um, thing too. One more thing. Sorry. Yeah. He he was the one that that he was one of the main people that pushed Major League Baseball, right? To make the Negro League players get into the Hall of Fame. Like he used his Hall of Fame induction speech to make a case for Satchel Page. Yeah. I mean, come on. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Bob Hosta collection with a good point too. He he did it did most of it post integration as well, you know. Um comparing to some of the other guys that we've talked about. Um, all right. So my, my um, overrated, uh, and this is, you know, one of this kind of like my one B overrated guy. And this, this is sure to, um, to make some folks unhappy as well, but um, it's, uh, it's Nolan Ryan. Come on. JT is going to kill you, dude. JT is going to kill you. Oh, and you know, it's out. I've thought about it for a while. And so I dug in on it a little bit and, you know, looked at him compared to like Steve Carlton and, and in particular, Tom Seaver. Um, and, you know, and it's just, I mean, Ryan was good. He was, and he really pitched for a long time, but, but man, you know, like, was it tw- like 26 seasons? I guess he could something like that. 26. Tw- and so like eight all-star games, zero Cy Young's, and he led the league in strikeouts 11 times but but only but also led the league in walks 8 times and it's just like he was good but like for him to outsell Seaver and a lot of equivalent sets by like 3 and 4x and you know Carlton by 6 7 8x i mean Carlton very arguably had a better career as well and not as clearly as Seaver did but um you know it, the longevity's there, the no hitters are there, the headlock and punches on Robin Ventura <laughs> were there. The, the yeah. playing through the ground ball to the face with the blood running down his face was like he he had some really iconic moments and he represents toughness and durability and you know and I get all that but man the the multiples over which he sells compared to. Guys that were probably better pitchers than him. Have you might need to hire some guys. Don't think Joel has been going for as much as I've been watching him. They're killing you. I know. I figured he'd be unhappy. Worse than they killed me for drifting. I might have to send him an apology for that. I haven't yet. No, I watched the Yogi one the other night. Brian, make him watch about you. We're gonna make him watch the Nolan Ryan. We're already pretty late. So I'll try to seven no hitters. That's I'll start with the easy one, which is you know the under really good nights. And for me, an under person who's underrated in the hobby where you look at how much their cards are and you're like man that that seems real low the answer for me to that is stand the man nice i think stand the man is seriously underrated in the hobby given you know he he, he basically means the world to a, a, a franchise that like loves baseball right the cardinals he, he's he is like the the cardinals guy right and, that, and that's a really dedicated fan base the thing that obviously hurts him is 
the whole like you know the contract stuff so that he doesn't have any he's he he played in the era where all these awesome cards were made but he doesn't have a card in them right yeah. so he's not in 52 tops he's not in 53 tops and um but at the same time like i love this this card the the 52 bowman love that card so much and you know his 48 leaf um also a really solid card um, and so I, I'm actually just shocked at like how I think this card should be a lot more expensive than it is the 52 Bowman because it it just looks so nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, triple crown winner, like, you know, his uh, crazy stats, like he was just an awesome guy. And also he's a really good human being, right? Everyone who ever interacted with him, he, he always seemed like such a nice guy. And um, I think it's just shocking that his how much how much his cards are worth. It's crazy right. to me. I totally agree. I think he had seven batting titles and maybe maybe some insane amount of all-star games, like 24. I'm so, somebody in the chat can fact-check me on that. But I think, yeah, he made the all-star game like more than two decades straight. Um, such a great player. Matthew, first of all, I want to say thank you for redeeming us a little bit with JT. <laughs> yeah, we got him back on his side. <laughs> in here now. And Jonathan, you know, he loves Griffey and Nolan Ryan, so he's probably cranky with us. So hopefully, Matt, <laughs> hopefully we'll get a little bit of positive flow from Matthew. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, I, you know, I think any of us that are serious about collecting vintage don't know how that stands cards aren't more popular than that. I mean, he just, he seems to have everything going for him. I mean, he won, he, he was a single team player. I mean, three MVPs, three championships, like just, incredible statistics incredible guy absolutely revered by the fan base and everyone ever involved in the organization or whoever met him um it's it's that one is really tough to to try to understand and you know i guess until unless and until the hobby wakes up continues to be great opportunities for us to pick up a lot of really beautiful cards at two cheap prices <laughs> so um and then, all right, go ahead. Yeah, Jonathan. Or actually, Matthew, are you are you going to go to the chopping block now and do yeah. a uh, overrated for yeah. us? Overrated for me. I don't have a card of this person, and I don't think I ever will because I'm just shocked by how much these cards cost. <laughs> and that is Pete Rose. <laughs> I think Pete Rose is insanely overrated in the hobby. I just, I mean, I get okay. I get that that he won as part of that team. Jonathan might be the person that killed me, you know, as part of the big red machine. But the dude was shady. His haircut, his haircut was the worst. I mean, it looks like he has a rug on his head. His haircut. If, the only reason I would ever get a card of him is to get one that like maximizes his crazy helmet hair that he has. But dude, yeah, I mean, you talk about Nolan Ryan was a compiler. Pete Rose. Now that dude. That dude was a compiler, man. That dude played forever so that he could get like the hits record. So I don't know. And if I look at the, I, okay, if you look at the, how much his rookie card costs, it's like, it's painful, man. It's really expensive. So that, that, that's going to be where I get knife. Hey, I can't go to Ohio. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. <laughs> best, best card of four floating heads in hobby <laughs> history. I, I, I wanted to go out and grab my Nolan Ryan rookie, and now I really want to go out and grab my Pete Rose rookie card. And how can you just the floating heads? I'm with you, Matthew. I I, I want to get one early Pete. I don't have any either. I'm I'm right with you, and the rookie card will never reside in my collection. 
I'm, I'm sorry to say, but <laughs> I, I would like to get at least one early P. Rose card, maybe a sideline. Also, you know, he's signed about, what, 17 million cards. It, it's definitely not hard to find an auto either. Uh, if anybody in the chat wants to join up with me for a new vintage uh, vintage <laughs> chat group, I, I need some new partners. I can't believe what I'm hearing about Pete Rose. Charlie Hustle, guys. <laughs> nice. All right. Yeah. Uh, mine. Good one. And we've had we've had no real overlap so far, which was so we for folks watching or listening, you know, we thought about should we tell each other to make sure we don't have overlap or should we um, keep it a surprise so that we have like kind of uh, some real surprise. I'm glad we've done the last because it's been really fun to see what you guys have selected and we haven't had any issues with overlap. So I, I love Sean's comment. He he just sold all of his Nolan's Griffiths and Rose's 50%. The market's sinking, guys. Get out while you can. Oh man, we have so much influence, man. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, do you guys have some more? Or should I go into my last round here or? i i i was gonna save my others I, I thought we could do a recurring segment and maybe come back to it next time because it's it's getting late yeah. you want to do that move on yeah let's move yeah that sounds good um all right so um let's see i think just a couple other quick things here right so uh we're gonna show a modern card 90s or later that we've either picked up recently or been particularly enjoying um so either of you guys want to kick us off with that one yeah I'll, I'll, I'll hop off on that one so my uh my card is this one here oh mr overrated king <laughs> jr oh so, this is awkward <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i just got this guy in so i mean i love these flare cards these are not very expensive and they like look they look stunning with them with, with the light right these row zero cards. So um, that was a card I had to get. And and I got it because I wanted to pair it with, with my Michael Jordan. So I got, um, these are the same design. One's yeah. 97 and one's 96. Um, just love the way these cards look. And so, yeah. The other thing that is cool about the Griffey is if you go to the back, bam, that's why he's the man. He's got backwards the backwards cap. He's got the backwards <laughs> cap going on the back. So, yeah. All right, Chris. Yeah, Publia said that he bought that same card a few weeks ago. I mean, I think this card is just so much fun. Um, it's not very expensive, and it just looks like the bomb. It just looks like the coolness. So that was my uh, that was my modern card. I, I dig it. I got to So I'm showing a Flare Showcase, too. Uh, if, if folks follow me on IG, my most viewed reel is my kids and I ripping a box of uh, uh, 1997 Flair Showcase basketball, which I traded a Mickey Mantle for. And I didn't get the row one MJ, and I just got it. Yes, Matthew has this, but at a local card show here in Utah, got it raw for a really nice price. Uh, find I have the row two and the row three, so really excited to finally have that one in the PC. I still want to get the row zero, but it's a uh, it's it's really pricey for from this set because it's numbered to two fifty. I'm going to show one more, and this and I just wanted to shout out to this guy C J Stroud. This is a uh, one of his uh, numbered to ninety nine autograph cards from when he was at Ohio State. But this guy is lighting the league up. Another uh, 
final drive comeback today in the NFL. It's been fun to watch my guy, CJ Stroud, uh, succeeding in the pros. I think he might already be the most successful Ohio State quarterback in the NFL of all time. I think uh, Mike Tomzak is his biggest competition for that. Uh, <laughs> That is impressive that you have a C.J. Stroud card in your collection. I would not have guessed that. That's really cool. What card? I have no idea what card that is. This is, you know, these cards only exist for the last few years once they changed the rules and allow um, the the collegiate athletes to monetize their likeness. And and Leaf started um, publishing cards of, uh, you know, college football stars during during their playing days which is why right now you can buy marvin harrison jr cards you see card collector too um sharing stuff like that but i I actually found this from a local card shop bought it i don't know what i paid for it 25 bucks or something i think it's worth more than that now but it's yeah it's just cool to have uh you know a numbered card a numbered autograph of the kid i think i'll hold on to that one nice yeah yeah that's really cool what a, unbelievable what he's doing. He beat the Bengals today, right? Yeah. And, and you know, was, I was a little bit conflicted. Joe Burrow also played for Ohio State, and, you know, they're an Ohio team. That's where I, I grew up. But um, I was rooting for CJ. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, mine mine is not a new pickup, but um, I am, uh, I, on the modern side, my clear favorite thing to, to collect is Topps Chrome Refractors. And I've been, um, you know, MJ has been really popular lately so i've had this one out and and been enjoying it quite a bit so this is the 97 um tops chrome refractor from mj and uh i um i like the the 96 the 98 is the one that's really rare the preview card and that, i love that kind of, one yeah that one is is pretty high on my want list um so i'm hoping to you know sometime in the next year or so to be able to add that one to the collection as well but um, this is the the modern card that I've had out and and been looking at the most recently. So we all shared an MJ. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shocker, right? Uh, what are the odds? Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's he's going to be on our next overrated list. <laughs> Not on my watch. <laughs> so I'll I got my camera on here. So I'll I'll do. I think we're going to finish up with recent mail days. So this one is um a little bit of a unusual one for me to grab, but it's the Bobby Richardson 57 tops um, signed card. So this one is actually a Christmas gift. So my dad grew up rooting for the Yankees. He was born in 1950 and um, Bobby Richardson was one of the guys he really enjoyed um, uh, watching a lot as a kid. And I thought, I feel like this 50, this one of the, cooler looking 57 tops cards with some real color and pretty interesting background great shot still alive and and featured pretty prominently in the yogi berra documentary which which is fun um so thinking my dad will kind of think it's pretty neat to have a signed bobby richardson rookies i just got that in the mail actually today and pretty excited about it so the beautiful card i think that's his rookie and it's from there there's you know, most of the top sets, the high numbered set are the rare ones, but with 57 tops, it, it was actually the second to last set. So that's actually one of the short print cards. And I, and I, yeah, I agree. I think it has one of the better images and, and color of all the cards in the set. And with that blue Sharpie auto, it's beautiful. That's a, that's a really special gift for your father. Yeah. Nice. Thanks, man. So I'll, I'll let you guys bring us home after this, but 
the uh, this is the other one, and this is not a new pickup, but it's new to um, to me having it in hand. I, I got this one, um, I don't know, probably six or eight months ago, and as I often do, I sent it through to PWCC um, to help with the taxes and see if it could pick up a sticker, and this, this one grabbed an E. It's a two, and it looks, uh, you know, it's a really nice-looking two. I'll see if I can... You can maybe see right here, there's a little bit of a vertical um, crease or um, wrinkle or something in the surface, a flaw there. But it's really well-centered and yeah. it looks looks as nice as I had hoped um, when when I got it in hand. So I've been having this one out uh, quite – I just got it from PWC. You know, I had a mail day from them. And, Jonathan, I know you like to do that a lot too, the delayed gratification mail days. So yeah. Yeah, looking forward to getting this one in hand. I know it's a card we all enjoy a lot. So been uh, uh, having fun with with having this one on the desk here for the last couple of weeks. Beauty. Very I thought cool. I was looking at a five. It's so nice. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll go next because you just kind of um, hit the the theme of it. I'm not going to show something. I'm just going to give a cliffhanger. Um, I just unloaded my PWCC vault. I I only ship them home when they've been there three months because delayed gratification and you get the lower fulfillment fee. Um, I had earlier this year, I probably had the best run in PWCC for getting IFL stickers I've ever had. And I think it's going to be a top five mail day. So it's, it's in the mail. I'm going to get it this week. I've never done an IG live. I think I have stress about, you know, I'm having a party and nobody's showing up, but I'm going to do it. So, so some weeknight this week when I have time, I'm going to go live on IG and open the package. Yeah. Awesome, uh, man. Well, great, great hanging out. And thanks for everyone who contributed in the in the chat. Yeah. Here, yeah, seriously. Thank you guys in the chat. You guys really added a lot to our conversation, some great topics and comments and stuff. So we appreciate you. And Jonathan, I'm sure we'll be in touch soon. Always, always great hanging out, man. Yeah. This has been a production of Rough Cuts. We'll see you next time.